Bible study. It's good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. We're going to get started, so let's pray. Ask God's blessing on our time, and then let's see what He has to say. So, Father, thanks for opportunity to gather. Uh, we're here in the name of Jesus, uh, by His power, by His authority. We ask that we would yield uh, to the Holy Spirit tonight, and what He wants to say and what He wants to do. I ask that we would have ears to hear, we have an open heart and open mind to receive all that you want to pour out. So we pray, Father, that uh, this be a night where we can receive of you, this be a night where we can be encouraged by you, this be a night where we can be taught by you, uh, this be a night where we can be challenged by you. Let's ask, Father, that we would uh, accept and receive all that you have for us tonight. We give you thanks, we ask you blessing. We ask your power to be made manifest in our midst. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'll give you further instruction once you get there. We did receive a speak pipe. Uh, we received a message. Uh, this was before I had gone away, uh, but I did want to play that. So uh, here's our message that we did receive. Thank you for sharing about hope. I like the idea of writing down what you pray for and see what God does in your life. All right. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know that voice, uh, that's Laura. Uh, she made sure to let Aaron know that that was her, but I recognized her voice, so it was okay. Uh, thank you, Laura, for uh, really leaving a message and uh, in, in encouraging me and encouraging us. And uh, so uh, thanks for your take on that, and we appreciate that. So anybody that would like to leave us a message, uh, please do, and we'd love to hear from you. 
Romans chapter 8. I need a volunteer. Read verse 27 and 28. All right, thank you. I started to write this out, and uh, as I was writing it out, I realized that there's way too much stuff there. And so I only wrote half of it. And that's for your sakes uh, that I did that, uh, because uh, there's really a lot there to unpack. And so we're going to really concentrate on verse 27 tonight, and uh, we, we'll get to verse 28 at some point. But uh, Romans 8:27. Uh, speaks to us about the relationship, or at least a portion of the relationship between the Father and the Holy Spirit, which I think is kind of interesting because we, we have this theology, we have this idea about who God is, and it's something that you can try to figure it out, you can try to make some kind of logical way of understanding it, but there really isn't. Uh, there's uh, We have three persons, and we have one God, and so... We have this idea that God is God. He is one. And yet he distinctly shows himself and he distinctly reveals himself as Father, as Son, and as the Holy Spirit. And one of the great verses that show that and that reveal the the oneness and yet the the difference between them is uh, when Jesus was baptized. And that's always the go-to verse when you're looking at this whole idea because you've got Jesus who's being baptized in that verse, you got the Father speaking from heaven, this is my Son, you know, describing Jesus as His Son, and then you have the Holy Spirit descending on Him in bodily form like a dove. And so you got all three of them in the same place, but they're distinct. You follow what I'm saying? And so we have this idea, we have this theology of who God is. And and it's, it's to, to, again, to try to put that into some kind of logical format and say, well, this is how it's going to work or this is how it is, is impossible. It's something that we accept. It's something that we look at and we can see it revealed. Like in that story, in, in that account of Jesus being baptized, you can see it. You can see the Father. You can see the Son. You can see the Holy Spirit. We can experience it, but to try and somehow make some kind of logical sense out of it in some linear way it really isn't something that we can do. And so it's mystical. It's spiritual. And that's okay. Uh, I think God needs to be a little bit spiritual and mystical to us. Uh, I think when we begin to think that we can somehow quantify Him or we can somehow figure Him out or we can somehow fully understand who He is, He just gets really small all of a sudden. And, and our God becomes way too small when that happens. And I don't know about you, but I, I like a big God. I like a God who can do anything. I like God of the universe, the God who created everything, that by His Word all things are. That's the kind of God I like to serve. And, and I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for His revelation to us. And I'm thankful that He's a personal God and all that. I think all those are great. I think all those things are awesome. Uh, and I love the access that we have to Him. But... He needs to be big. He needs to be big. He needs to be bigger than my brain can figure out. He needs to be bigger than my mind can conceive of. And he needs to do things because he just does them. And he needs to say things because he just says them. 
And, and those kind of things are important that we have a God like that. And that as people, we learn to accept that. We learn to accept that He's just bigger than us. We learn to accept that He, he does things that we don't understand. He says things that we don't always understand. And that's okay because He's big. And an allowance for that in our lives really puts us in a position where if we need a miracle, well, we serve the God of miracles. If we need something big to happen, we serve a God who can do that. And it's easy for Him to do that. Because He's the God of the universe. He's the God that created all things. He's the God that did all things. And so I think it's important that we leave a little bit of that. That there's something about God we just don't know. There's something about God. There's lots of things about God that we just haven't seen and we haven't understood yet and we don't have the, the knowledge of, and that's good. It's a good thing. And to allow for that in our lives. Allow for the fact that God may do something that you don't understand. Allow for the fact that God may say something that you don't understand. And that's okay. And, and I think that that helps us to keep Him nice and big in our lives. I think it helps us to find a place of trust and rest in Him even when we don't understand everything, but just knowing that He does and knowing that He can do anything no matter what our situation, no matter what our circumstance. And so to me, I think that's an advantage. I think it's an advantage that my God's that big. I think it's an advantage that my God can do anything. I think it's an advantage that, that I don't understand everything my God does. I think it's an advantage that I don't understand everything my God says. And it's all right. And, and I know some people look at that and they're like, well, how can you believe in that? How can I not? It begs for faith that, that my God's that big. It begs for faith that I understand everything about Him. It begs for faith that I understand everything He says. That's the point. And so if I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to live according to faith, well, then, then just by definition, my God needs to be that big. Faith in what? Faith in something bigger than me. Faith in what? Faith in something that I can't even fully understand. Faith in what? Faith in somebody that, that he says things that I don't even know what he's saying sometimes. That's all right. I got faith he's right. I got faith he knows best. I got faith he knows the beginning from the end. I got faith that he knows and I don't. And I can find rest in that. I can find peace in that. I can find a tranquility in that. That I'm not in charge. That I don't know everything. And that is calling on me to trust Him. So in this passage, as Paul is, is teaching the Romans, I mean, the Romans are going to face some hard times. This church that he's speaking to here, they, they face some hard times, but they're going to face some harder times. And understanding the persecution that they're going to go through, understanding the persecution they're going to face, understanding the things that they're going to see, the atrocities that are going to take place against the church in this city and in this region that's about to take place, even to piece together why God's preparing them now, why God's speaking into that now. And as you read Romans, you've got to read it a couple of different ways. One, they're, they're a church that needs to be taught. They're a church that needs to have some basic understanding of who God is. They're a church that really needs to be able to receive some instruction and some maturity, and they need to grow. Okay, so that's part of it. 
But you also have to read Romans in another way, and that's that this is a church that's about to really face it, and they're about to face some hard times. And and through the Spirit, of course the Holy Spirit knows that. And through the Spirit, and Paul's being inspired to write this letter, well, the Holy Spirit's inspiring him in that direction where Paul, whether he knew it or not, doesn't really matter. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing with that in mind. That, that there's hard times coming. How are you going to face that? There's hard times coming. How are you going to set yourself in such a way that you're going to stand in the face of that? How are you going to thrive? How are you going to live in the face? How's, the, how's this church going to grow in Rome when persecution comes? How can we set things up? How can we prepare things? How can we make sure that you are poised and ready in a position to not only survive, but to actually benefit from hard times. How can we do that? And so Romans is, is one of those books. It's very dense. It's, it, it's got a lot of information in it. it. It's very inspired. But it speaks to us in some very basic terms, but it also speaks to us in some very deep terms. And this is one of those moments here where Paul is speaking about this is the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, you can reread that verse and you can wonder, well, where did I get that? Well, I got that because that's, that's what he begins to speak, that, that he wants these people to know that they're supported in their lives. That's what he wants them to know, that there is a backup, there is support for them, that there's somebody that has their back, that's looking out for them, that knows what's going on, that's going to know what's going on, that's going to care about what's going on, and someone that they can count on. That's what he wants them to know. And so he wants them to understand that they have the support that they're going to need. They need today, but the support they're going to need as they go forth. Because, I mean, you think about feelings, that, that we're, we have emotions, and they're real that you can try to ignore them, but they're just so real. And people respond emotionally. Uh, we were talking about this last few years because of the pandemic and watching people responding to things emotionally. Now, they weren't really responding in any kind of logical fashion. They were responding emotionally. And when people begin to respond emotionally, especially to fear, they get really mean. Really mean. They, they, they're, and, and you saw that. And I hope you can, can kind of understand what I'm saying. And I'm not saying this to judge anybody. I'm not saying this to be like, well, you know, people should do bad. I'm not even saying that. All I'm saying is that the fact of it is that when people begin, when we begin to respond emotionally to things going on around us, and we respond in fear, it brings out the worst in us. As a people. And we just saw that. We saw neighbors turning on neighbors. We saw people turning in family members. We saw people just being rude and mean and cruel to one another. Over what? You know, what do we know now? Well, that it really wasn't that big a deal. And, and you can argue that point with me all you want, but it wasn't that big a deal. Not what they were trying to tell us it was. We didn't know that then. And so people were responding to it out of fear, and it just brought out the worst. 
It really did. And so there's feelings that it could be feelings of feeling helpless. It could be feelings of being overpowered. You might just feel like we're just overpowered, whatever it is. But it brings out and it dredges up fear in us, which brings out the worst. Well, God's word to us is that we have a backup. We have someone that's looking out for us. Someone that has our backs during those kind of times. I mean, times that we went through, but not just in, you know, people whipping up fear, but actual real problem times. Real times where uh, there's, there's really something that we really, 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 really need to be scared of. Alright? And, and there's something to actually be scared of. And so, Paul wants those people, that, like, these are people that are going to be dragged off into the Colosseum and they're going to be fed to wild animals. These are going to be people that are going to be doused in oil and used as human torches and burned alive to create light in the Colosseum. These are people that are going to face some hard, hard times. Really, really hard times. And not just pretend hard times. Not just it might happen, but seeing people they knew being fed to wild animals and being used as human torches. People they knew being torn apart in the Colosseum or wherever it would be. And they were going to actually face persecution. And so this knowledge, this understanding that he's trying to impart to them is that they they don't have to live overpowered. They don't have to live in the feeling of helplessness. But they have someone looking out for them. And that's really the point. That we have someone looking out for us. And I'm a firm believer that since this worked once, it's going to happen again with all this stuff that went on a few years ago. Let's do it better this next time. And if it doesn't happen, great. I hope I'm wrong. But if it does, let's do it better. Let's be better than what we were this last time as God's people. Let's look at these opportunities that come our way as that, as opportunities. Not moments to always feel overwhelmed, not moments to always be overpowered, not moments to always feel helpless or whatever it is. But let's set ourselves in a position where we know somebody's looking out for us, where we know someone is, is really standing up with us, where we know that someone is really, really looking out for our best interests and find rest and peace and joy in that, and actually be able to use these moments as moments of ministry, and life-giving, and hope-giving, and peace-giving to the people around us. Let's do it better. Let's do it better. You know, and I'm speaking to myself, instead of getting mad, let's do it better. Instead of being afraid, let's do it better. Instead of just being frustrated, let's do it better and see what God wants to do through those times. Because I'll tell you something, somehow this Roman church got this. Because during the hard times that they faced, the real hard times, you know, tore apart by wild beasts, all that stuff, they grew. They actually added people to their number. And you think about what a hard sell that is, right? 
hey, come be a part of what we're doing. You can be arrested and thrown into the, you know, I mean, seriously? Seriously? And yet, and yet that's what happened. That they actually grew. That you got the worst sales pitch ever to come join an organization. Like, they, it's terrible, right? Yeah, let's grow. And they did, they grew. Because somehow there's life. Somehow they were sharing life. Somehow they were sharing hope. Somehow they were sharing peace. And, and the worse things are, the more that's going to stand out. So he begins to position himself through these verses. And he begins to position the church through these verses to be ready. Because this is what's coming. And again, they had already faced it. They had hard times. Even when he's writing them. But worse were coming. And so they're going to position themselves and be ready. They're going to be ready this time. They're going to be ready for what's to come. First part of this, and the first part of this verse, and I'm going to stick right in verse 27 mostly. But what I want you to, to hear from this, the first thing is, the Father knows my heart. The Father knows your heart. And if I put it in the first person, I just want you to understand it's, that's you. That's me. The Father knows my heart. And and so, that that's something that's important, right? That the Lord God of the universe the God who made everything, the God who spoke and all things are, He knows your heart. And you know what's funny about that statement, that He knows your heart? You don't know your heart. You don't even know your heart. And and you know that because of Jeremiah 17.10. It says that. It says, who can know the heart? It's deceitful above all things. And so, so what that verse tells us is that you don't know your heart. But the Father does. Not only does the Father know your heart, somebody look at Revelation 2.23. Revelation 2.23. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. All right. So regardless of what happens in the beginning of the verse, alright, this is talking about Jesus, alright? And so it tells us that not only does the Father know your heart, who else knows your heart? The Son knows your heart. So the Father and the Son both know your heart, but you don't. And I find something comforting about that. Because what that tells me is that he knows my heart. He knows what's going on inside of me. I don't even know what's going on inside of me. And so, what is it that I need? I don't know, really. I know what I think I need. I know what I think would be important to me. I know what I think would be necessary for me. I know what I think I want. But he knows what I need. Because he knows what's going on, really. And so, we have the Father and we have the Son who are able to search our hearts and know where we're at. Because you can deceive yourself. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, you can. You can deceive yourself. And you see that in people quite a bit. You know, people that talk about themselves, about how great they are at something, but they're not really that great at it. You ever meet people like this? 
Am I the only one? Am I the only one that runs into people like that? No. Right? There's people that will tell you. They'll tell you all about it. They'll tell you how good they are. They'll tell you how fast they are. They'll tell you how strong they are. They'll tell you how talented they are. They'll tell you how, how they can paint this or draw that or play that on the piano or the guitar or, or they can write music or, or they can read music or they can do whatever it is they're going to tell you they can do. And then you get right down to it and they can't do it. Especially if you're counting on them to do something like that. I've got to the point where I politely want to see it. All right? And that doesn't mean that I'm going to demand it or anything, but I may, you know, maybe finagle an opportunity to see if I can see what's going on. Like, hey, yeah. I'd love to see some of your work. Do you have any? Hey, awesome. Yeah. Or whatever it would be. But I want to see it. I want to know. Because people deceive themselves all the time. They, they convince themselves of things that just aren't true. And, and, and I see it with, with people who are like, they're gonna, again, they, they convince themselves that they can do this or they are this or they've done this or whatever it is, but it's just not true. It's not real. It doesn't exist here in reality. You know where the rest of us live? It exists in their little reality. Where they live in their brain and their mind or inside their head or wherever it is. And it exists there, but it doesn't exist anywhere else. The manifestation of it is not real. But we're good at it. Some people are better than others at deceiving themselves. But see, the Father searches the heart. The Father searches the heart. The Father knows the heart. That's what's real. The Son searches the heart. The Son knows the heart. And that's what's real. All those things are real. And so He ministers to us. He provides for us. And He leads us in reality. Whether we can see it or not. But sometimes we just can't see it. And you know, you understand what I mean by that. You understand that sometimes you just can't see something. And, and it, it could be hidden, or it could be just something beyond our understanding, or it could be something that we don't want to see. And so we put up a barrier so we can't see it. You know, it's like a little kid. Or, you know, I, I tell the story sometimes, but... Uh, when I was a little kid, I used to play, you know, hide and seek with my grandfather. And so I'd jump under the bedspread on the bed and cover my head because I couldn't see him. But it wasn't in my brain yet because I was little, little, that just because I can't see him doesn't mean he can't see me. And of course, he didn't help that because he'd come into the room, he'd be like, uh, where is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wanted to keep me easy to find, right? Yeah. Well, one day I figured it out. I was 10 years old. And I, I was going down there for the summer. School just let out the next day. I went to South Carolina. They picked me up at the airport, drove me to the house. Immediately I just got out of the car and ran. And And so I ran in the house and I hid but I hid in a good spot. 
and they could not find me. So my grandparents were like running everywhere. They're yelling out the door. They're out the window. They're asking the neighbor. I just stayed there. I don't know, probably, for, I was probably there for at least half an hour. Looking all over, looking all over. Because I figured it out. Right? I, I could finally understand at that point how to actually hide. And sometimes it takes a little bit to figure stuff out. And so if you can't see it, it's okay. He does. If you can't understand it, it's okay. He does. If you don't know what to do, that's okay. He knows what to do. And He knows your heart. He sees your heart. And so you got the Father, you got the Son that, that, that just see that, that He can see your heart. He knows your heart. Something that you don't even know. Now, and I will say this. It's used in the, in the couple passages where it uses the word searches. Well, God doesn't really search for anything. He just knows where it is. <laughs> okay. And that's a word for us so that we can kind of understand that. He has provided for us. Like when the Bible says, you know, God's arm is not too short. It's not really his arm. Okay. It's just so that we understand that, that he can reach wherever it is we are. And, and so it was put in terms that we can kind of get it. So when it says he searches the heart, it just means he knows it. That's all. And so don't, don't think like there's something hidden in your heart that he's looking for. That's not what's happening. He knows, he knows what's in there. He knows all that's in there. Jesus knows everything that's in there. He's not really, you know, like uncovering anything that he doesn't know. It's all within his knowledge base. And so the idea of the searching of the heart is just for our own sake. So that we understand, because that's a process that we go through. When we look for stuff, that's a process that we go through and we're trying to discover something. Well, he just knows. And so he knows your heart. He knows what's in you because he has no need to search. And so the next thing it says there, okay, so number one, we've got the Father and the Son who know your heart. They both know your heart. And why was it important, and I, and I made an emphasis on this, why is it important that Jesus knows your heart? Why is that? What do you think? This is a real question I'm asking. Because he intercedes. That's right. Yeah, in fact, the Bible says that he lives always to make intercession for you, for me. All right, so it's important that Jesus knows your heart because he's interceding for you. Why else? What else does he do? And what does his intercession look like? Where's he at? Huh? Okay, so, so he's everywhere all at once. But how, do we, how does he describe himself? He describes himself as in you, alright? So he's with you, knows you, is with you, so he's in you. Where else is he? Right hand of the Father, right. So when Stephen was dying, being stoned to death, I mean, Jesus was with him, but when he looked up and he saw the Father, who did he see? Jesus says, right, standing at his right hand in the position of authority and power. And so he's right there. The Bible tells us that we can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. All right, that's what it says. And so because of that, and so because of that, 
uh, and, and that idea of being able to boldly approach, well, why can't we boldly approach? Because he's there. And both the people, both those that are represented at the throne of grace, both of them, they both know your heart. They already know your heart. They know what's in there. They know your need. They know your fear. They know your joy. They know your worries. They know your anxieties. They know your stress. They know your love. They know what you care about. They know what you don't care about. They know when you hate. They know when you love. They know when you forgive. They know when you hold on to something. They know all that stuff. And they love you, love you, love you. And you can count on that. And so that that's why the son knowing is important. So the father so the father knows your heart. But the father also knows what the spirit is saying. Because the father understands the thoughts of the spirit. Or as is used in some versions of this when it's translated, knows the mind of the spirit. And so there's a oneness there. There's a oneness between the Father and the Spirit. But it's also distinct. Right? Like, I, like when Jesus was baptized, you follow what I'm saying? The Father speaking from heaven, the Spirit in the form of a dove. You got Jesus being baptized. You got all three of them there all together, but they're distinct. And so you got a distinctive with, you got a distinction here. You got the Spirit, but you got the Father, but the Father knows the mind or understands the thoughts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're one. They're one. And so he fully, completely, 100% understands the thoughts of the Spirit. And he wants us to know that. That there is no break there is no issue. There's no communication breakdown. There's nothing that's being left out. There's nothing that isn't being addressed. He knows. And so the Holy Spirit, and part of the function of the Holy Spirit, is that sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to pray through us. And, and this is where some of the, the more faith-oriented mystical stuff comes out with us. Because when the Holy Spirit decides that He wants to pray through us, sometimes that goes beyond our language ability. And because it sometimes goes beyond our language ability, there needs to be some other way that we express ourselves. And so what God did to provide for that is that so that we can be a part of this, we can be a part of the process, that we can be a part of this communication. He poured out to us His Holy Spirit who, who gave us a gift to be able to speak in tongues. And so we're able to express things that we wouldn't normally be able to express. We're able to say things that we wouldn't just normally be able to say. And so the Holy Spirit can pray through us and Paul talks about it. It's like, well, we don't really, we don't have the understanding of it. Right, we don't. Because sometimes when you have the understanding of something, it hinders that word being prayed through you. Because 
You're trying to dissect it and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to put it into some kind of order or you're trying to put it into some kind of benefit that's going to help you if you understand what it is. But maybe what needs to happen is that you need to be interceding for you need to be praying for and the Holy Spirit is praying through you for maybe a hard time that's about to come. Well, if you understood that, you wouldn't want that. Would you really pray that for yourself? Probably not. And so it's important that, that God has and, and that one, He wants to include us. Well, if He's going to include us, that means that He's going to pray His will through us. That's why praying in tongues, and I'm going to tell you, and I've said this many times, but I want you to understand this, you can't go wrong praying in tongues. Here's why. Everything you pray, inspired by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, everything you pray is done. That you pray in tongues. You're never wasting your time. It may not be stuff you want, but it's done. It is 100% effective. That's why Paul said, I pray, you know, I speak in tongues more than you all. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. And, and there's something about that. I just really believe there's something about that that God uses in our lives as we partner with the Holy Spirit that brings us closer to the Spirit, brings us closer to the Father, and brings us closer to the Son. I just believe it. And so for some of us, and I'll say this as a reminder, some of us, we need to purpose to do that every day. You need to purpose to do that every day. And it might be ten minutes when you start, or five minutes, or it might be a half an hour when you start. Whatever it is. But purpose to do that. To, to just allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you. To partner with the Holy Spirit in, in interceding and praying in tongues. And let it happen. So this passage that, that he speaks to, this is part of our growth. This is part of how God's going to do things in us and through us. And it's no mistake, and make no mistake, the devil hates this. And, and he continually attacks this within the church. And I could care less about that, except for this, that it stops people from doing it. And that, that, that can't be. That can't be. It can't be. You know, sometimes I make the mistake of reading comments on social media. I do. I make that mistake. And there was one night there was something that I was because uh, we have a Twitter live stream, and and I was reading something. It wasn't anything to do with us. It was something else that I was reading on. But there were some comments there, and there's some of the craziest stuff in the comments. And I mean, crazy stuff, stuff I've never heard of, and I've heard most stuff by now. There's new crazy stuff being invented and thrown out over social media. To hinder the church from partnering with the Holy Spirit in intercession. And it's just crazy. But it's also strategic on the part of the devil to do it. Because there's a power in us allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through us and partnering with Him. There's a power in that. There's a power not only in seeing things change around us, but a power of seeing things change in us and of growing through that.
And so all I can say is fight through the, the, the stuff. Fight through it and get it done. Because I really believe there's some power there. I really believe there's some change there. I really believe there's some growth there. I really believe that God wants to do that in and through His people. But you're the only one that's going to make that decision and do it. No one's following you around to see when you're praying in tongues. Alright? Nobody's going to do it. Nobody. No, that's up to you. And if you don't, nobody's going to tell you you're wrong. Nobody's going to tell you you're right. Nobody's going to tell you you should, you shouldn't, whatever else. I'm just encouraging you toward it right now. And I don't really talk about this. Not too often. I do every now and then. I don't, I don't talk about this very often. Because I, I don't want, there's no point in any controversy here. There's no point in it. Because there is no controversy. I'm going to pray in tongues. Because I've seen things change around me. I've seen God move in mighty ways. And I've seen my own life, I've seen my own growth through that, and I'm going to do it. That's all there is to it. And no, no comment's going to stop me from that. Nothing I read on Instagram or Twitter is going to stop me from doing that. Somebody coming in and telling me I'm wrong ain't going to stop me from doing that. Somebody coming in and telling me that it ain't God or whatever ain't going to stop me from doing that because I know God uses that, God is using that, God has used that, and God will use that, and I'm going to keep praying in tongues. And I'm going to keep partnering with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep interceding because I know the benefit of that. I've seen it. And so you have this verse, Father knows what the Spirit is saying, knows the thoughts of the Spirit in His mind. And so they're one, number one, but the Spirit also expresses Himself sometimes deeper than our language. Sometimes deeper than the words we know. And that's all right. That's good. That's good. And we need we need to partner with that. Now, in this passage, it also says this, the Spirit will plead for you. What do you think of that word plead? What, what, what does that mean to you? You beg. He'll beg it up for you. The Spirit is pleading for me. In words deeper than I can even understand. And so, as he intercedes, as he intercedes, and I'm going to say boldly through you, but as he intercedes, the enemy, therefore, does not prevail. Yeah, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Ultimately, the work of the Holy Spirit is to change things around you. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit, work of the Holy Spirit is to change things in you. Ultimately, the work of the Holy Spirit is to defeat the enemy. Not only in your life, but in the lives of the people you care about, and lives of people around you, and defeat the enemy in general. We play a part in that. Whether you want to or not, you play a part in that. You just do. And if you want to participate in that, then you will. God bless you. If you don't want to participate in that, well, you won't. Ain't got much to say about that. You know, it kind of goes back to that old Getty Lee saying, if you choose not to decide, 
you still haven't made a choice. Yeah. And so I really want to encourage you that, that the Holy Spirit, I mean, He's pleading on our behalf. How? Through us. He's begging it up through us. He's moving in such a way that the enemy's not going to prevail in our lives. As we allow Him to move in and through our life. I mean, He advocates in us for God's cause in us. What's, God, what's God's cause in you? I don't know. That's between you and Him. I can't answer that question. I cannot answer the question what the purposes of God for your life in this generation are. I can't. Because you could tell me, well, in general, the Bible says A, B, and C. Well, that's absolutely true. It's kind of interesting, though. People that do that, and they think that they can figure out God by what the Bible says. Hey, how come Paul wasn't allowed to preach the gospel in certain places at certain times? If preaching the gospel is general, is the general, the absolute thing that we're called to do, how in the world is it possible that Paul was not allowed to go into Asia to preach the gospel? He was hindered and stopped by the Spirit of Jesus from doing it. How is that possible? According to that whole general idea about God's will for your life. How is that possible? Do you know? Because I don't. Because I believe that God's will and purposes for you are God's wills and purpose. That's His will and purpose for you. And that will and purpose for you isn't His will and purpose for me. And yeah, I can say there's some things that are general, maybe probably true most of the time, but it's not absolute. And there are times when there are things that you read and you see, and it's like, like Paul not preaching the gospel in Asia or wherever it was, that he, he couldn't go in there. He was, he was stopped by the Spirit of Jesus from doing that. That tells me that the Spirit of Jesus and His purposes and His plans for me in this generation may be different than His plans and purpose for you. Because Paul preached the gospel a lot, but not right then. Paul saw so many people converted to, to the Lord over his ministry and over that time. I got nothing bad to say about Paul. But he didn't go that time. It's God's plan and purpose for him in that moment was not to go. And you gotta respect that. You gotta respect that. You gotta respect that, that my call isn't your call. You gotta respect that my purposes aren't your purposes. You gotta respect that, that God is, He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. We gotta respect that in each other. And let it be. And just because God spoke of something to you and He's saying, alright, this is my expectation for you in your life, that doesn't mean that applies to somebody else. Stop judging them. Let them get it, get in wherever they're going to get into and let them hear from their Maker and let them hear from the Holy Spirit. Let them hear from what the Father and what the Son has to say over their lives. Let that happen. Give them their time. Give them their space to do that. That ain't your judgment to make. But God's plans and His purposes over our lives. Man, sometimes that's just deeper in words. That intercession that He wants to make through you Deeper than words. But it, but it's that that place and, and the, that, that expression that we grow, 
we become, and that the enemy's defeated. We gotta let that happen. We gotta participate when God calls us to participate. We got allow for the Holy Spirit as He advocates for God's cause and His purpose and His plan for our lives. We need to join up with that. We need to get get on board with that. Be a part of what He has for me. Now I read a few different versions of this, and there's a word that comes up right now in this passage where it talks about the Spirit, the Spirit being, and I want you to hear the word I use here, the Spirit is in harmony with God's will. And that word harmony was used a number of different times as I was reading through the different translations and the different explications of this passage. The word harmony came up over and over and over again. Now the reason that's important to me is that you know, anybody here, if you know anything about music, right? You got somebody singing a song called the melody, right? So let's say they're singing the melody. Well, if somebody sings the harmony part to the melody part, is that the same part? No. No. You got a melody, which, okay, that's the way the song goes, but then you got the harmony, which are different notes. They're different notes being sung, but they go together. They work together to make a richer sound. And so the idea that the Holy Spirit is in harmony with God's will, I want you to think about the possibilities that exist for each of us in that. Of what God's will is going to look like through you. Because God's will through you may not look like God's will through me. That's what creates the harmony. In fact, it's likely not going to look the same as it looks through me. And, and it goes back to one of our values, one of the things that we believe as a church. One of the things that we believe as a church is that oneness, in other words, that idea of unity, is not the same thing as sameness. So it's not that we all look and sound alike and, and do the same stuff, because we don't. But the idea is, is that God is creating a harmony in and through us, by the work of the Holy Spirit, that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit, is to create a harmony in us so that the sound, so that the experience, so what people perceive, what is being perceived in the spiritual realm is richer than it would be if we're all singing the same thing. If we all look the same, we're all singing the same thing, we're all saying the same thing, while that, that is convenient, that's just not really how God has set things up. God has set things up and He calls people from different backgrounds and He calls people from different places and He calls people from, from all these different experiences. Part of the reason He does that is because He is creating a harmony by the Holy Spirit that makes us bigger and richer than we ever could be if we were just all the same. 
Plus, that's boring. It's just boring. If everybody's singing the same thing, it's boring. If everybody's playing the same notes, it's boring. If all you're hearing is the same melody just being pounded out time and time again, it's just boring. There's no life in that. There's no expression in that. Not really. That's one of the great things about a piano. Because you've got two hands. And so you have a left-hand part, you have a right-hand part. And they work together. But it creates a richer sound than can be made if all you can do is play the melody. And that's all. And so I think that we need to get a, a bigger view of what God's doing in me, in you. That, well, this doesn't look the same as it does with everybody else. Good. This doesn't sound the same as it does with everybody else. Well, good. This, this doesn't seem like it's the same as what other people are telling me about. Well, that's fine. Let's add to one another so that we can all be bigger and richer. All right? To, to just be something more than we can produce by ourselves. If all we're ever going to do is the melody, well, you can sing the melody. But if what we're going to actually produce is a, is a, a beautiful harmony, you can't do that by yourself. We need each other for that. And, and that's the only way that's ever going to be produced. And I just really believe that's something that God is doing, that, that he, he, he wants His will done, right? And He's going to aid and direct for that will to be done. But He wants it big. He wants it rich. He wants it something more than it's just one person going about it or one voice going about it. But it's a, it's a chorus of voices. It's a chorus of lives that are brought together miraculously into a real harmony together by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's power. That's awesome. That's more than we can do by ourselves. And that's why we need each other. Why God calls us and, and God sends us and God has these things for us because you know He describes us as a body and not every part's the same. Well, of course not. We all have to do our thing. But we're all working toward the same goal. Toward the same purposes. The same plan. The same will. And it's finding a peace and rest and joy together. Me, not you. Not him, not her. But all one. Because I think I started out talking about that, didn't I? That there's something about God that we just can't really totally fully understand. That it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it's one. But the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Holy Spirit, but they're one. And it seems to me that's part of the work of God in His people of making us one, but not the same. And all I can do is, is say, let's take our part in that. Let's take our, our place in that. Because I believe it's the Spirit that leads us into that harmony. That, that He enlightens, that He teaches, 
that he comforts. Because because part of that is silencing the fear in us. That's part of it. Part of it is helping us to 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 really overcome things that would hinder us from doing that. That's part of his work. Part of it is he knows that we don't have it in and of ourselves to do that, and so he wants to empower us to do it. He doesn't want you afraid. He doesn't. He wants you to enter into what he has for us joyfully. Joyfully. And so he's going to aid us and he's going to direct us. He knows our hearts. He knows what we need. But that's what he wants to do in us. He wants to bring us into harmony together with his will. So let him do it. Let him do it. Because that's going to make us stronger. Let him do it. Because that's going to mean we're going to be more ready. More ready for whatever it is we're going to face. Whatever that is. But we'll face it together. Stronger. Take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for uh, just the work of your Holy Spirit in us. It's the work of God. It's the work of God. I mean, you said you created us in your image. You said that right from the beginning. And so I guess this isn't surprising that the work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit, the work of change that you're doing, the work of encouragement that you're doing, the work of leading that you're doing is that work of your image that you are leading us back into your image. And so I just say thanks for that. And I ask you that we would allow that process to happen in our lives, in my life, as individuals. We would allow the process and the work of the Holy Spirit to take place, that I would allow that in me that I would participate in it, that I participate in intercession, I participate in praying things that I don't even fully understand, maybe that are deeper than words, but I take the time and make the effort to pray and partner with you, Holy Spirit, to see this happen in me. And so God, tonight, yeah, um, I just take my place. I want to take my place. In this process, in this time, in this generation, this is my generation, I want to take my place. And I want to join in in this chorus. <coughs> take a moment to respond to that. If that's your prayer, I want you to pray that. So just respond to that. You respond to that.
Thanks, Trav. Yeah. Thanks, Trav. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, God. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for letting us partner with you, God. Uh, thanks. We just renew our commitment to that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. We thank you for this, God. We just commit time and effort. We commit our faith, commit our lives, and the power and authority of Jesus. Let's go by saying amen. Amen. I just want to encourage you tonight, too. Um, we speak in tongues. And I'm not, I don't know who here does or who doesn't. I don't really care. Uh, but if you do, that's what we do. And I'm not ashamed of that. And even if new people are around or people that don't really understand it are around, I'm not ashamed of it. It's something we do. Um, I was never taught to be ashamed of it. Never really thought of that as being a problem. Uh, it's a distinctive. It is. It's something weird that some people hear and they don't know what to do with it or whatever. But that's okay. Um, that's all right. So just just be you. All right? And this is who we are. And so, um, pray in tongues. Worship in tongues. Let God use you. And uh may come a time when you need to give a message in tongues. There's people here that interpret tongues. Uh, if I'm here, I do. And I'm sure there's others that do here. So, that's how it is. 
So, uh, yeah, it's a tool. It's an expression. It's important who we are as God's people. So let's not discount that. Let's not ignore it. Let's not hide it. But let's allow God to do what He wants to do through us. Amen. Thanks for coming. Great to see all of you. And I'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you Mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.